0: What can we do to minimize corruption with lobbying while respecting the First Amendment concerning free speech? Also, should there be a complete repeal of the 17th Amendment and give the power back to state legislators in choosing their senators to represent at the federal level? Why do we have it in the first place? All of this on today's edition of Blueprint. I am your host, Ken Drew, and this is Taboo Topic. day with the latest content through social media. Type in the search bars of Instagram, Getter Truth Social, and TikTok. Mainly those first three of Instagram, Getter, or Truth Social. Kenjin underscore Express. I repeat, Kenjin underscore Express. Spell the word engine, then put the letter K in front of the word engine, then you can get Kenjin one word underscore Express. You can also follow this show on Facebook just by typing in the search bar of Taboo Topic. Look for the logo that says Honesty equals Understanding. You can listen to this show on any platform from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, and even Amazon. Which, by the way, please don't forget to give this show a rating and review. If it's anything less than a five star, let me know so I can better serve you. Last but not least, you can find the inspirations for the Wednesday's episodes on my Substack newsletters. Type in the URL at Kenjin296.substack.com if you want a visual of the inspiration and you want that script to see what. Will the episode on Wednesday shall be focused on. Share this with your friends and family members, because here on this show, show we dare to think out loud and question the narrative. Free speech triumphs safe space, because in order for us to think, we have to risk being offensive. If we want true peace in our society, we have to be able to be honest with each other, without judgment. If we can be honest with each other, then we can achieve real peace in our society. Amen. This is a reminder that the Biden administration abandoned 9 to 15,000 Americans in Afghanistan. Now you won't hear about this from the media or any politician for that matter because the global elite have their own agenda that disregards human life and basic human dignity. So, to the families and individuals that have been affected by this abandonment, know that you have not forgotten. Most Americans, like myself, know or your loved ones didn't choose to stay behind If there's any way I can further help, besides bring awareness, reach out at Kenjin underscore express, I repeat Kenjin underscore express on Instagram, spell the word engine, put the letter K in front of the word engine, then you get Kenjin one word underscore express if you have by one in a millionth chance hear this message. It's not much, but know this, justice will be served for those who lied to justify their competence. After all, I believe in God. is in control of all things and he says vengeance is mine now let's get back to the show welcome welcome to another edition of blueprint i am the host of taboo topic ken drew with my friend ryan from between the liars ryan
1: how are you sir
0: i'm doing great how about yourself Pretty good, pretty good. How's your week been so far?
1: It's been good. We're in the second week of the semester. It's in full swing. Uh, I've got an interest meeting for the speech and debate union. I've got our travel schedule. Like I've been super productive. It's just been super busy.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Do you miss it, though? Or do you enjoy oh, yeah. it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I've I've got uh, seven people who returned from last year that I get to work with. And so I, th- I think especially for the speech and debate portion, those are usually because it's volunteer based. They're, they're like the students you get to work with semester after semester who are the most dedicated. So I love working with those students. I'm also excited we get to travel in person this year because it's been two years of virtual tournaments and uh, I'm over it. <laughs>
0: oh, this is the first time since uh, COVID, basically, you're going to actually do real tournaments. Pretty
1: much, yeah. So,
0: what, what's your first destination then in this tour?
1: Uh, assuming we're like in tournament shape, uh, it'll be down at the University of Southern Mississippi.
0: Oh, wow. Going down south. Yeah, it's like a south. six
1: hour drive from here. So,
0: yep. Are y'all taking the bus? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we get a little 12 passenger van, and I drive us down there. <laughs>
0: Nice, Short nice.
1: Price.
0: Well, folks, in case you were wondering, as far as the countdown music, I want to go ahead and give that credit to my friend Devin Farley. Uh, he he did it for free, so he only asked. That I give credit to his music and track. So please be sure to hit the like button to show his appreciation. Also, hit the subscribe button as well if you're on Taboo Topic or even Between the Liars watching this. Uh, show us some love. Help help us beat the algorithm and share this with your friends and family members. Also. I know most of you guys, I know most of us don't do it, but hit the notification bell as well if you can. Uh, That way you get notified whenever a new episode comes out from either Ryan's uh, Between the Liars or my show, uh, Taboo Topic. And with that said, folks, uh, listen, this is going to be the last episode concerning Congress. Uh, Far from the last
1: episode total, though.
0: (laughs) Yes, far, far from the last episode from the whole series, but last episode for Congress specifically, um which I'm ready to move on. I know about you, but I'm ready to move on kind of at this point. <laughs> I agree.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> it's dragged out a little bit. I I think that we've we've come up with a lot of really good parameters. I like what we've done, but it's what is this episode? Do you have fourth? your notes this time though? I do. As long as you only ask about the last episode, I have my notes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you go ahead and give us get the audience a quick rundown what we went over last week and the compromises we made that the audience uh, should know, and then we'll go from there.
1: Okay. Uh, So for Congress, all bills and resolutions need to be read out loud. They have to be single issue bills and resolutions. The one exception we made was that you can have like additional pieces tied to it for funding, but you can't do healthcare, student loan forgiveness, green energy, all in one boondoggle. It has to be one piece at a time. Uh, so we also said that you have to participate in roll call, which we talked about last time. It's the difference between having like the representative of the representatives of the representatives where they're all not showing up. They're out busy schmoozing doing the reelections instead of voting like they're supposed to be. Uh, we said that we would give them the exception of virtual roll call if necessary. Um, but and I think we said like a few Sick days, but by and large, there's very little exceptions we carved out for that. We said Congress doesn't get paid if they shut down. In fact, we said if they reach a shutdown, meaning uh, they couldn't agree on the budget, they couldn't compromise, they stalemated, then every one of them gets fired and cannot be reelected. The state house, so like the Tennessee state house, can impeach the Tennessee U.S. senators. Um, yep. And that goes by state. And we said that uh, the legislator would impeach and then they would go to the people for a roll, like a, a full uh, referendum. Dem- democracy referendum. Yep. Uh, and then infringing on the Constitution is grounds for the state legislator to impeach and the people to remove as well. And we said that if your law that you passed or supported. Goes before the Supreme Court, you're automatically eligible for a recall. It would actually bypass the state legislators and would just go as a referendum right to the people. So, for example, New York, um, Bruin, um, and th- that was a New York law, but like, let's say that they, they, um, this was passed at the national level, those senators would automatically be eligible for their people to recall them. Doesn't mean that they will, right? Because New York is probably happy about those types of bills, but we were opening it up, um, one question here, uh, just to clarify this. I don't think we we decided. Would that mean that if they pass a state law, that they're automatically eligible for a recall, or was it just yeah. federal?
0: I think I was just thinking federal. Okay, I just I, I just, just want to be sure. Yeah, um, as far as states are concerned, like that's their business and how they want to go about it. Um, but as far as the federal government is concerned, yeah, that's the procedures and protocols okay. that we're going to go with. Um, I'm not sure if you want to get into the state. Maybe that's something you want to – that's a caveat you want to touch on.
1: Maybe in my missed points section I might – I'll think about it.
0: Okay. Um, Speaking of missed points section, we're going to actually talk about something we've brain checked for the past two weeks and part of this uh, closing out finally of this (laughs) section of Congress, and that is (laughs) lobbying. Yes. (laughs) Lobbying. So in case people don't understand what lobbying is, there's a lot of controversy. It has a very negative connotation, but essentially – it's an independent group that goes on behalf of a certain company or a certain group of people um, to basically convince Congress to pass laws that would benefit them or they think would benefit the people in general, which most of the time it tends to be more for corporations. And that's where the conflict of interest comes in as far as uh, these corporations have too much power in the sense of, well, uh, the majority of the money. The majority of lobbying comes from these corporations and private companies that can afford to basically spend billions of dollars to convince Congress to pass certain laws. But the real issue is, and the main criticism that I got from from my research, is basically this concept called a revolving door. So what is a revolving door? A revolving door basically is when, let's say, you run for Congress, you become a member of the Senate, And you lose your seat, or uh, you get, or you retire, and then you go back to the free market, become a lobbyist, and then you go back into Congress, and that's essentially a revolving door. And it can be vice versa. So you can start off as a lobbyist and then enter Congress. And what that happens is essentially kind of this problem with uh, special, not special interest, but conflict of interest. You become buddy, buddy. It's like, hey, Joe, uh, I know you're running, you're up for a re-election and I can help you win re-election next year if you uh, help me pass these bills. I'll donate money to your campaign. And they can and they do that because they know each other so well because of that revolving door. Like they've worked for the company at one point and they can pass le- legislation. So uh, that's one aspect of lobbying that I found. Go ahead.
1: I was going to say, it, it also cuts the other way. So for example... Uh, Basic example would be if you don't align with the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, they can pull your funding, deplatform you. These lobbyists can lobby against you in your primaries or in the primary or in the uh, like the general election and say, OK, uh, Ken is no longer supporting, you know, I don't know, big censorship the way that we would like. So we're going to pick a different candidate. So now you've kind of got both the positive and negative reinforcement there. You you have um, – what looks a lot more like bribery, you know, you do this, quid pro quo, uh, we'll fund your campaign. <laughs> it can also be if you don't do this or if we're displeased with you, then we'll pick up your opponent, whether it be in the primary or the general election.
0: Right. And the other issue I found interesting was, let's say Google gets a lawsuit and they lose that lawsuit. And so they spend billions of dollars in send a lobby group over to D.C. Mm-hmm. to basically pass laws that would benefit them. And it's not to say that I had, now this is just me talking, I personally don't don't necessarily have an issue with that, but it becomes a problem when it supersedes the will of the majority at that point. And that's where a lot of these issues come from. Now, with that said, the last time Ryan and I spoke about this, we didn't really understand the nuances. And we also kept running into the issue of the First Amendment. Uh, Because my original idea was any citizen who aspires to run for office must have a minimum of 16 years without any association with lobbying to minimize conflict of interest. I will scratch that idea now, and this is my new proposal. So my new proposal uh, in the spirit of the First Amendment, but also in the spirit of the fact that there are qualifications, certain criteria, people who want to run for Congress or any public office uh, needs to meet. In order to end this revolving door situation, there has, I'm gonna give ultimatum. So if you are a lobbyist and you started off as a lobbyist, you no longer, you have foregone your right to run for any public office in the future. Now, if you, are pub, if you are a member of Congress or a president or any federal official, whatever, a cabinet member, if, you in, if you're in that position, you've never had a position of lobbying before, you have foregone your right to lobby once you're out of office. I think the revolving door situation, that's how you fix that. Uh, they could still associate with each other and everything like that, but at least we don't have that revolving door. We have increased the chance of conflict of interest and possibly pass legislation that don't really reflect the will of the people. Um, so that's my first proposal with the lobbying situation. My second proposal to address the whole corporation situation or any business for that matter. If you're a company like, let's say, Google again, and you lose a lawsuit, and let's say this lawsuit, uh, Let's say this lawsuit was justified by the public eye majority, and if Google were to come to persuade Congress to pass legislation that would benefit them. The majority would view that as a slap in the face to the average Joe or Jane. So in order to fix that, I want to, I'm going to propose the idea of then if you lose, if you're a company and you lose your lawsuit, you lose your right to lobby on behalf of that specific issue for the next 10 years at least. A 10-year ban for lobbying for that specific uh, situation to where you cannot just go ahead and lobby to change the law for your own benefit so those are my own proposals my modified proposals for lobbying i still stand by that congress well, i mean it kind of goes hand in hand with my original thought as far as congress cannot consider lobbying as a secondary job anyway so <laughs> um what do you think
1: I want to dive into the first one that you mentioned here, which said, if you uh, start as lobbyists, you cannot run for public office, vice versa. My question is, how do you handle individuals who maybe start in the lobbying sector? And then, you know, they're like, oh, okay, I understand this. And this is usually what happens, right? They under, they're under, they like, okay, um, I've lobbied. Now I want to be the legislator. And I have rubbed shoulders with the right people. You know, I, I've got the connections. I understand the law, the procedures, etc. And this goes the other way, too, right? Like I was, uh, I've served either my max terms, or I want to go back and I want to lobby on behalf of people instead, try to do, you know, broader good, let's say, is their motive. And let's assume the best in them for just a second here. Well, if we pass this, we've eliminated that. I feel All like right. you're, you're being pretty um, intentional on that. I'm just curious. Um, we had talked earlier about how one of the dangers of imposing the limits, let's just go back to our first episode of congressional term limits. You have people who don't necessarily know what's going on. So then maybe you have either, um, lobbyists who are not as passionate or don't know the ropes um or vice versa politicians who don't are you are you okay with that
0: yep okay totally fine with
1: that okay i just wanted to be sure uh because i i don't know I, I i understand and i agree with the sentiment you're coming from here 100 uh the revolving door is a huge issue i'll start by stating that yeah I'm more okay with the first part of that that you proposed than the part that says if a company loses a lawsuit, you lose the right to lobby on that behalf. Um, so what if, what if it is a, a company that lobbies, right? Like not just like Google where they've got like, or le- Disney would probably be a more recent example, right? Like they, they didn't necessarily right. go to a lawsuit per se, but they tried to pressure and get involved in politics and then they backed way the hell up after a little bit there. If it had gone through as a lawsuit and they had lost that, you would not allow Disney then to, let's say, lobby on behalf of. I'm trying to think how we would capture that. Uh, any legislation close to LGBTQ? Is that kind of yep. the how that that would play out? Okay.
0: Because I think to me anyway, it's like just like any just like a criminal situation where if you break that social consequent social contract, there are consequences. Okay. And you lose certain rights when you break that uh, social contract. So same applies here except it would be more of a civil situation.
1: Are you... Is this cutting both ways? So if the company brings a lawsuit and they lose it or someone brings a lawsuit against them and they lose it, then they're no longer allowed to lobby in any capacity for 10 years?
0: Ooh, like individual citizens?
1: No, I mean, just as the company. So let's say I'm Disney uh, because this could have... If it had played out as a lawsuit, it could have cut either way. They could have right. brought a lawsuit against Ron DeSantis and the state of Florida, the legislators of the state of Florida, and they might have lost that. Right. They also might have had the people of Florida bring a lawsuit against Disney or Ron DeSantis and the legislators bring a lawsuit against them. So they they could have won or lost. Do you see what I'm saying? They're either the plaintiff or the um, – what's the other term? Uh, they're either the, pers- uh, the plaintiff or the defendant. Right,, um, and if they lose either way, they can't lobby, or is it just if they have a lawsuit brought against them and they lose it?
0: I think to avoid the semantics of it all, I think it's just universal.
1: okay that that brings some consistency. I, I guess my one thought of where there might be kind of a weak spot on that then is what about I guess if they if they can lose it, then it wouldn't be a frivolous lawsuit. but like how can we guard against? disgruntled people or government operationalizing themselves against an entity to prevent them from being allowed to lobby so for example let's say at the federal level joe biden no let's let's back up donald trump doesn't like that disney is getting involved so he (laughs) as the federal government brings a lawsuit against them let's say it gets held upheld then Um, how do we separate governmental actors from trying to silence companies and prevent them from being allowed to engage in the first amendment by lobbying is mm. there a safeguard we would want to put i'm not saying that with that means throw out this idea i'm just saying we might want a caveat to try and prevent that because like one of the reasons lobbying is essential is because you mentioned this at the start it's free speech. I get to, I get freedom of association. I get freedom of speech. And I get freedom of association where my money goes too. Not just like my physical being. Uh, and companies are an extension of the people in kind of the way the Supreme Court has shaped that precedent. So what I'm concerned about is if it could just be stopped by someone levying a lawsuit against them. I'm worried that we'll see... Government actors either retaliating or just trying to to silence companies who are motivated to come after them. Let me think about that. <laughs> yeah, no, and we can come back too. Uh, I guess if I try to think how we could dial this back, hmm. we could. There's just got to be some kind of a standard in here that prevents the penalty to be like twelve, because like basically this is like a blanket censure note. Uh, for te- for like a decade. Um, yeah.
0: Or how about if one presidential cycle then? Would that be more reasonable?
1: It's definitely better. Um, I'm still worried that we're stepping on the grounds, or at least we could step on the grounds of free speech. Um, and, and for me, this is... I, I'm i a free speech absolutist, so I would rather, if if our laws are either going to overly protect people who are... What I would say too involved, yeah. Versus infringe on the First Amendment. I'd I'd rather have them be more involved than I'd like, personally. Um, that would be my side to err on.
0: At the same time, though, like you have to wonder. There's got to be like because most of the time when you lose a lawsuit, mm, that proves that you broke a social con- contract. Or excuse me, there has to be some kind of consequence. That's that lets the party know, hey, you lost. You can't be a sore loser about this and try to send someone on your behalf to change the law so you can be on the winning team again.
1: Okay, so then and, can, can you give me then to help me and perhaps our audience understand a little bit better, can you give me a specific example? Um, because you, what you just mentioned as far as um, breaking the social contract, right there we have a standard, right? Which means that you had to have done something um, – and then that does provide a, a more rigorous standard to where I might not think this is infringing on the f- free speech.
0: Well, there is a – I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, – so let me circle back to that. <laughs> um, but that's my main concern because I don't think – and maybe we can – maybe this gets into another conversation, another episode as far as like what should constitute a lawsuit, okay. a justifiable lawsuit uh, because I don't think – because I've heard some dumb lawsuits before, and I do think people should just be able to lawsuit anyone just for the sake of lawsuit, just to get money kind of deal. Um, so I, understand, I think that's where you're going with it to an extent, if I'm not mistaken, and, except it would be for the case of the government uh, going against the people or certain private companies just for the sake of they may disagree with them or they have a personal vendetta. And so I would have to think about that, um, especially given the... Think about the specific situations.
1: I I could even, I could throw this out here and this would make it more tolerable for me. Uh, It could be that the government doesn't get to bring lawsuits because then that prevents them from being aggressive and removes that as a potential, even like I don't even want it to be a potential tool that the government can silence people or by extension corporations. Uh, Because I think this is another mistake that we tend to make when we think of... Corporations as predominantly like Disney, Google, like the majority of companies in the U.S. are not conglomerates like those giant companies. They don't have the same amount of money, which is why, you know, a lot of these companies small businesses etc uh they they have those protections and by extension we have to give it to the larger ones but i feel like that's where the spirit of that law usually originated so perhaps if we limited it so that the government cannot bring a lawsuit against corporations that would potentially allow them to be censured then maybe that would make it so that uh you would still have the people who could bring a lawsuit um unless you're thinking of a specific instance in which the government does need to be able to go after a corporation Because, like, Ron DeSantis didn't even bring a lawsuit against Disney. He just went after their tax exemption status because he said, if you want to be a political actor, then you pay the taxes of a political actor. You don't get this special carve-out. You don't get this virtually unlimited cosmic power, to quote the genie from Aladdin.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like your idea as far as limiting the government to where if they're gonna do any lawsuits, it can only be against other state governments kind of deal or against the federal government. You know, government can only lawsuit against government if it government if that makes sense. Yes. And but in the meantime, as far as the people, the private citizens and businesses, they have every right to practice lobbying again and and lawsuit a file lawsuit excuse me, towards the government themselves. And if they lose, I mean, you lost. So <laughs> no, I think I Sounds like jousting
1: actually- rules. You 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 knock them off their horse. You take their armor or their horse.
0: <laughs> Sorry,
1: I mean, you're you're I silenced.
0: Because think- <laughs> I don't know. It's one of those things where. I think there's just too much power with lawsuits, too, to an extent as well. There
1: is. Well, and it brings money into the factor. Again, if we're worried about lobbying and money going hand in hand, lawsuits and money sure as hell go hand in hand because, you know, whoever can hire the best lawyers and things like that, they're going to be the ones, you know, the better representation. They're more likely to do better or they just bring a frivolous one that ties you up the death by a thousand paper cuts. Right. So I, I think your, your suggestion that we maybe bring specifics of ways that we would set standards for lawsuits in a different segment i am okay with that uh we can we can in in the words of Gensaki circle back and touch <laughs> on that later so that we don't get i don't want to get too into the weeds i do think it's important we think about it though
0: we can go over that when we start to ratify the last the ratify the constitution at least for the three branches of government if yep. you want i like it uh, so but we do agree on the revolving door situation right yes
1: that's that is a problem I mean I, honestly uh, <laughs> revolving door here, revolving door anywhere because even like revolving door going from uh, either presidential cabinet or press secretary straight over to your quote unquote unbiased legacy media that's a problem too like I will across the board say revolving <laughs> door is a problem
0: so let me ask you this then for the extra caveat would you want to apply? I think we already went over this, but do we want to apply that to states as well, or should states decide if they want to go ahead and shut the if they want to shut that uh, revolving door as well?
1: When you say states, do you mean uh, they can't come in at the state level?
0: Yeah, let's say if someone at the state wants to run for a state of a state position, but they were lobbyists before, should the con- should there be a federal ban across the board to include state elections? Uh, state positions or local positions, or you want the states to decide for themselves?
1: I think this is where I would let my desire for the states to govern themselves outweigh what I think is the best form, because I don't think it's in the state's best interest to allow these. But at the same time, uh, my driving factor for why lobbying needs to be more restricted, more transparent, is because when when California takes the tax dollars and then throws it through some kind of money laundering or Chicago does this too, (laughs) to then try and influence national policy, I'm affected. But if California wants to let that happen for California, then they can continue to devolve if they want. So I think that we should allow the states to do it themselves because like I said, my driving reasoning for this is I want the federal, you know, laws to be limited in scope and to not be able to be, you know, bought by whoever has the most money. And a state can decide that for themselves, I think, because it doesn't affect the other states. Because I, if I live in that state and it's going to affect me, I can vote against it.
0: So they, let's say, California, right, decides to, like, Gavin Newsom, who was a former lobbyist member, hypothetical world scenario, right? He wants to run for federal congress we still agree that he would sh- he would not have the ability to run for congress
1: at the united states at the federal level hey Correct. if i can limit gavin newsom from running for president in the next election <laughs> on the grounds that he was a lobbyist uh yeah um <laughs> no that's not my <laughs> sole reasoning for that but yes i agree <laughs> with your example here uh he was a lobbyist He's, yeah, honestly, I think you should have a competency test. Did you run your state into the ground in X, Y, and Z places? <laughs> you shouldn't be allowed to run for president. Uh, but yes, former lobbyists should not be allowed to run at the federal level. States can choose for themselves. Agree.
0: Okay. And that includes like cabinet members at the federal level. So let's say uh, yep. FBI director kind of deal like lobbying. If you're a lobbyist, you have forgotten that right to be to hold any office, public office at the federal level.
1: Yes. Um, Or cabinet members, I would be willing to open it up to a certain amount of time has elapsed. You've been out of the game. That's okay. But I'm leaning towards a blanket ban. I think to avoid the semantics and getting too far
0: deep in the weeds, I think it's just better to just go ahead and do a universal ban.
1: Okay. So then once you've gone, so then does it cut both ways? If you've been a cabinet member, not just an elected official, you were appointed, not elected, but you cannot go back into lobbying.
0: Keep that blanket. Yes. Okay.
1: Okay. I'm good with that. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Nope. That works for me.
0: (laughs) All right. So I guess that finally closes. We finally got... Done with the lobbying section. We'll get into the lawsuit and get into the idea as far as like corporations and their rights, as far as like lobbying on behalf of their own interests when they lose a lawsuit kind of deal, but we'll get into that when we close out the first three branches of government and ratify that part of the constitution. But speaking of the constitution, there's been one major change that's been affected in the American eyes for the last hundred years or so that was not in existence the first hundred years or 150 years of the U.S. Constitution, and that is the Senate. Now, we kind of went over it as far as how this state, how Congress would be elected and how the the whole process would work, but we kind of, like, glossed over the Senate because there's some things I want to look into the Senate. The 17th Amendment, um, for those who do not understand, the 17th Amendment basically gave the people in the states the right to directly vote their senators into office without having to go through the state legislative process. Now, before the state legislative, before then, it used to be the state legislators decided who would actually represent in the Senate level, at the Senate level, in D.C. So that's how it used to be done. Um, One of the main issues with this, uh, let's go to James Madison real quick, an opponent of state legislators. He wrote in the Federalist Papers that this would be a double advantage, both favoring a select appointment in giving of the state government such an agency in the formation of the federal government as must secure the authority of the former. Now, for those who wanted state legislators to choose senators, such as George Manson, he argued this was a necessary tool to defend against federal overreach. Wendell Pierce, another proponent for state legislators choosing senators, expressed that the contrast between state legislative-appointed Senate. And a popular elected house would increase the types of interests represented in the federal government. By requiring the consent of two constituencies to any legislation, the people's representatives in the house and state legislators in the Senate. The composition of the Senate was seen as essential. Way was seen. Excuse me. Was seen as essential to the system of biocameralism. Excuse my pronunciation there, but you get the idea. But they would require the concurrence of two distinct bodies of schemes, Urbisitation or pitify, um, Obviously, this one in the ratification process, but the problem was that politicians started to ignore the Constitution to keep a long story short. This was known as public canvassing, where politicians seeking the Senate uh, began campaigning for state legislative candidacies, reducing the value of state legislators in the elections. The most famous example is actually one of the most famous from the most famous president. Uh, the race between Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas, when neither candidate was on the ballot for state legislator. So kind of foregoing the kind of weakening the original intent of state legislators. By the end of the 19th century and the early 20th century, uh, 28, st- 28 states adopted the Oregon system in which there would be discrete elections for those seeking office of senator further eroding the power of the legislator. Uh, this was a result of having various scenario- vacant seats as well, like Delaware. Worst example, like they had like four years without having a seat in the Senate because of the bureaucracy that was occurring with the state legislators at the time. So the 17th Amendment was passed and ratified. And we have to ask ourselves, Ryan, was this the right decision? Well, in theory... In popular opinion, I guess would say it's the people. The people can directly vote for their senators. That makes perfect sense. And a lot of people who support the 17th Amendment would say, let the state senators let the state senators focus on the state, and let the senators in D.C. focus on national concerns. But the problem is, it shifted the shift it shifted the balance of power essentially. From you had at least one chamber of Congress that was more concerned with state issues, and you also had the House of Representatives is more concerned with national interests. And so they're there to at least keep each other keep each other in check. Um, and when that went away, now you have a Senate who hasn't really stepped foot in their state probably in years, and they will campaign on behalf of their state, talking as if they actually know the problems in the state, but they really don't know what's going on in their state and how the national policies are affecting their state in particular. To an extent, it seems like it was an overcorrection, uh, this 17th Amendment, Um the, the way we went about it was just, sorry, by the way, it's outside lightning. But anyways, uh, <laughs> it seems like if you were to fix the issue, first of all, at least enforce the laws that are in, in there already uh, and make it to where they can't just directly run for senator without at least going through the legislative process first be a ballot for a state legislator, state senator first, and then they can be qualified to go become a senator for the That could have been a correction they could have made. Um, I also would go and say as far as the whole vacancy situation, let this governor, and I think they do this now in some states where the governor will actually appoint someone to fill in a vacancy to avoid that vacancy having a prolonged time period where it's completely empty. And so maybe that's another way they could have gone about it, but it seems like overall the 17th Amendment has created more harm than good. I would argue, and thus an argument should be made to repeal the 17th Amendment and give it back to the states to decide whether or not um, how they should how they should choose their senators. What do you think?
1: I think that this whole concept started from and is supported by the idea that we are a democracy. We're not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. We are supposed to elect people who represent us. And this was an extension of that. It wasn't supposed to be a populist vote, right? right. And, and that's you know everything from the electoral college being a check on a true democracy to um, something like this, where it was supposed to be that the state legislators wind up voting on behalf of the people who directly voted for them for the u.s senators and then like you would mentioned the house of representatives was supposed to be a direct true like populist vote to kind of balance these things out it was this was an extension of the checks and balances checks and balances didn't stop at the three branches of government (laughs) being congress Uh, the presidency, and then the judicial branch. We had lots of little checks, and most of them were aimed at preventing this federalist atrocity that we have now, where the government has amassed huge portions of federal power. So I guess my initial thought here is that we are in this situation in large part, if not exclusively, because we have strayed from those traditional beliefs. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you can make arguments for why this has benefits, of course. I'm not going to say that there are no benefits to it. Um, I'm not even going to say that, you know, there's there's not some, you know, good to maintaining at least a portion of the status quo. But I'm more and more in favor of restricting federalism, the power that the federal government has amassed, and give it back to the states. You hit the nail on the head um, because you were quoting the Founding Fathers. But still, um, you know, with, <laughs> with this idea that it was supposed to be that, you know you you weren't allowing the federal government to amass too much power and beyond that we always talk about how you're supposed to be in touch with the people if the state legislators appoint you and you want to be reappointed then you've got almost this think of it as like a rubber band running from the top of this funnel here the the US Senate to the state legislators to the people because the people will say to the people they're directly electing into the state legislators you did not represent us well you're gone mm-hmm. and so they'll be tied very closely to the people and they will in theory be uh, the the fruit of them doing this will ultimately come about as we elect people who are more closely tied to what we were put into office to represent so there's more accountability there mm-hmm. and here's the other part of that you're not you're, you're holding people who are up for re-election far more to a greater degree of accountability because you can. So for example, let's say a state legislator, they're only up every two and six years, right? And it kind of mirrors the federal level. Uh, it's no longer up. Uh, well, I got to wait six years until my federal representative comes <laughs> back around. It's no, 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 no. We're, we're much more accountable. And like you said, it, the, these people are supposed to be the ones who are like in, in the heat, in, in the heat of the battle, uh, right? right? On, on the field, Fighting and passing legislation that's supposed to have, in theory, the greatest impact on us. We were never designed to care as much about the federal government legislation. That was supposed to move very slowly, um, if at all. We were actually set up to be existing within gridlock where congress doesn't pass anything because a true democracy that allowed the 50 plus 1 bare majority to flip-flop would leave us open to the turbulent waters of whatever you know the the simple majority is thinking at that time and not what the quote-unquote true will the 60 percent, uh, filibuster-proof majority, we're supposed to be thinking it was supposed to not allow for democracy, true democracy, to take place. So I guess those are just kind of my thoughts as I think about, you know, why we should change this back to the way that it was before the 17th Amendment was interpreted in this way.
0: So do you do you agree with the situation that was back then as well as far as the public canvassing? Uh, was it do you think a matter of people just not enforcing the Constitution itself? Is Abraham be on the ballot without being on the ballot for state uh, Do you think that was an overcorrection?
1: You're asking, do I think it was an overcorrection that like Abraham Lincoln was able to be on the ballot for the presidency? For- over-
0: do you think that was an over? No, like, just an amendment as a way to fix the issue, like a situation like Abraham Lincoln. Instead of just enforcing the laws that were already in place, they just said, ask ah, screw it. We're just going to go ahead." And- make this constitutional moment, and give, do a direct populist vote for the senators in D.C.?
1: It, it could have been an overcorrection. Um, I guess I, I didn't think as much about whether it was an overcorrection or not. I, I focused more on, like, where are we now than, like, why did we... I mean, well, I, I'm focused on why we got here. But, you know, whether or not that was the pivotal moment or, like, the time in which we overcorrected, I didn't think too much about that. I, I think that that's probably why, yeah.
0: So what would you propose to fix a situation like that? Do you think – if we were to like reverse re, – first and foremost, do you agree whether or not we should repeal uh, the 17th Amendment, at least some portions of it?
1: Yeah, I would I would probably say rewrite it, not necessarily completely repeal it. I would go back to what the founding fathers had framed and defended in the Federalist Papers because um, like you, you have John Jay. Right, he said uh, the Senate is to be composed of men appointed. I mean, and women too, um, <laughs> to make it modern. By the state legislators, I presume that they will also instruct them that there will be a constant correspondence between the senators and the state executives. That was that was the goal, um, right. and I think that that would return us to a smaller, less federalized government. And I think that that would also achieve our, at least what I think you and I have as a common goal of getting them back in tune with the will of the actual people. Uh, so yes, I think that we would need to reframe it in such a way, but yes, repeal it to the extent that we can do that.
0: So what do you think about the idea then to at least address a situation like Abraham Lincoln or the Oregon rule, whatever that just mentioned, um, Make it to where they have to at least be on the ballot for state legislators before they can even, and then at that point they can go ahead and qualify for public office at the federal level. So what you're at that t- point, go
1: go, no go ahead. Sorry, finish finish and that
0: thought. I was going to say like I just because I'm just thinking about the situations at the time that created the 17th Amendment anyway, and we don't want to run into another scenario where, let's say, you're running for a senator even though it's technically in the Constitution that you have to be appointed by the state senators, you're not even on the ballot to be a state senator to begin with. Yeah. And I'm saying you should at least be on the ballot to be a state senator. And then, once if you get elected, then you're qualified to run or to be appointed by the Senate to be to represent the federal level.
1: So I want to be sure that I'm accurately remembering the scenario. Uh, when Abraham Lincoln... And Douglas were running, yep seventeenth amendment, so true populist vote was already a thing for the Senate for the u s Senate
0: it, it did not exist yet,
1: okay, and that was s- one of
0: the issues though okay at the time that led to the seventeenth amendment,
1: yeah, because you've also I, I feel like we're also then running into the issue of like write in ballots too, right because if you're not on and people can't write in for the presidency, et cetera, then like. You know, we might even have to touch on that if we're gonna depending on where we go with this. So the issue that was raised then, just to be sure that I fully understand this, is that they they couldn't get on the ballot. What was the process to even get on the ballot then? Um or, or did you have to like basically be in, the, in the circle? The problem,
0: well the problem was there's I guess there just wasn't uh anything explicit in there that said like you had to be in the state senate. To be appointed by the senators at your state legislature okay, and so they used a loophole essentially to where you you't going have to be on the ballot to to be a representative at the state level mm-hmm. anyway, and thus you would bypass the, the bypass the, uh, the appoint appointments from the state senators at the time. <clears throat> do I make
1: sense? I think so so you you could really only get elected to the U.S. Senate if you had been elected by the people to the state Senate. Is that correct? Because it was yes. pretty much the, the pool of people who could move up had to already be yeah. elected. Okay. And that is a very common argument as to why we need the populist vote is because it has, like, the broader pool of people. It's more inclusive. There's, like, fewer right. hoops. I think that I- I'm I'm open to thinking about reasons why we should keep it broad, but still like, you know, you don't have to be elected to the state Senate to be appointed, but we keep it to where they appoint them. You know what I'm saying? Um, So they could appoint someone who wasn't elected to the Senate. That's fine. But I actually kind of like the constraints. I I like that the people had their voice in the state election where they had the true populist vote. And from there, you could be moved up.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's still representing the people's voice. It's just an indirect way to do it.
1: Right. And it puts constraints to where you can't have, you know, Ryan gets elected to the state Senate and uh, he votes and lobbies to get his good friend Ken in the U.S. Senate, (laughs) right? Like you had to also be elected and then we collectively choose who goes on to represent us. Because the other thing is, if you are good enough in that case to be re- to be representing the the state, not not in the U.S. Senate, but in the state Senate, so you represent your own state in its in its own self-contained area, All right. then you just get a broader platform, which again is the more that I'm talking about this, I'm um, <laughs> I'm getting harder pressed to have a reason that they shouldn't have had to serve at the local level. What do you mean? Like they, they had to have served – like I'm thinking it's a good idea to make it to where uh, – like like reverting completely to where they had to serve at the state level so before they can be on the ballot and be nominated to move up to the U.S. Senate. At least for the Senate. At least for the Senate, yes.
0: Okay. And I'll let the House of Representatives do the, be a true populist vote.
1: Yeah, because – yes. Um, yes. Because there are more people who can represent your state in the House of Representatives hmm. Because it's by population and that is sure. still elected by populist vote versus the Senate. We tend to have the same two incumbents running the entire time. A state tends to stay the same color and they tend to stay the same literal people. They don't tend okay. to give anyone else a choice or a chance. And that's fine. So long as those people were originally elected by the state people um, is what I'm thinking.
0: So you're leaning, sounds like you're leaning more towards the strict parameters that just set out originally.
1: Yes. Uh, it's taken me a, a bit to, to get that out, but some the, convincing. The, yeah, Well, that is <laughs> convincing, but just like, you know, like sometimes the more you talking talk about loud. something, yeah, the more you talk out loud <laughs> as one does, <laughs> uh, <laughs> when you think out loud and you hear it and you say it, you kind of reach conclusions. That's kind of my process that just happened there. So yes, to give you a more concise answer, I think I'm in favor of going back to the way things were pre-17th Amendment,
0: and add that extra parameter to avoid a situation like Abraham Lincoln Stephen Douglas.
1: Yeah, and that's not to say that I think that you know Abraham Lincoln didn't do a great job as president. <laughs> uh, right. But I, uh, although when we ratify this, we might want to go back and think about the type of restrictions we've placed. Yeah. Um, just because we did set those time limits, those term limits, and if they want to advance, they might have to spend some time serving their time at the, the state level. But
0: Fair enough. We'll go over that, the final ratification process. Yes. All right, so one more little caveat that also kind of raised concern why they justified the 17th Amendment was a situation like Delaware where they went years without actually having an appointee from the state legislators because of their bureaucracy of whatever's going on at the time. And so... I have on here my article, which by the way, guys, again, if you want to see the actual layout of these ideas, at least from my side, my end of the story, you can go to my subsect, at uh, Kenju296.subsect.com. So, uh, anyway, so what I have on here is that the governor shall have the governor's power shall be extended to permanently fill in the vacancy to serve six years if the state legislators fail to appoint by the end of the six year term in that vacancy. Uh, how do you
1: feel about that i'm okay with that and the reason being that it is a temporary um it's a temporary appointment right like they're only they're only appointed as a stand-in so that you have that representation until the people can be called to vote and do it And, and they're and i think there is a standard like it can't be more than x amount of time and if there's not then i want to add one uh because the governor can't like in, in, appoint their person and then those people <laughs> indefinitely serve. But no, as a stand-in, like, we do at times need these people in there, especially, you know, let's say someone retires or gets moved up and there's an important vote. We wouldn't want the voice of the people to not be heard at all. So I'm okay with the governor temporarily appointing, but then it needs to be replaced by someone the people elect. Or that is a if it's a, if it's a U.S. Senate deal... Then the legislators at the state level who were appointed by the people get to pick and reappoint. I
0: think I follow what you're saying.
1: Or we could just bypass the governor temporary appointment and just say that the, because uh, the whole purpose of that was so that the people could vote. We set an election day. But if Congress is in session anyway and we have the state legislators appointing, we could say that then they just must. I mean, we, California knew that Kamala Harris was VP when they were elected. And then you had like, what, a month, two months? Two months until they were sworn in. So in that time, state legislators need to hold a special meeting and vote for someone to replace wh- whoever is is retiring or you know whatever, uh, whatever the reason for leaving early. Special appointment. So they would. Have, so
0: they would. Have, so you think basically, if I'm understanding you correctly, they would have had enough time anyway to prepare for to fill in that vacancy. That to where we really don't need the governor's appointee at
1: yep. that point. That's what I'm thinking. Like unless there's like a death. And Congress can't meet. Um, that's like the only time because it would be sudden, right? But anytime someone's moved up in a cabinet or whatever, we know with enough time. Mm-hmm. So I might grant an exception that the governor can temporarily appoint until Congress, uh, the, the, the well, the state legislators can elect in the event of like a sudden death or something like that.
0: We what, can do that. Yeah,
1: I was going to say, what, what do you think? I want to hear your thoughts too.
0: I mean, what I think, I personally, I kind of like that, um, especially when you think about, because the whole purpose of, like, giving, like, repealing the 17th Amendment, and those extra parameters was so so that people had the direct voice again, or, and, slash, indirect voice, if that makes sense. They had a direct voice in the state legislative process, but then they had an indirect voice as far as uh, the senators that they voted in for. They're the ones who are going to be in charge of appointing someone at the senator. In the DC level, and to an extent, when it comes to the governor, kind of defeats the whole purpose of doing that. So, I have no issue with your idea. Um, so, yeah, I, I'll give you that. <laughs> you you caved you caved in on my strict <laughs> parameters, so I'll give you that.
1: There you go. <laughs> Yeah, don't just don't just quit pro quo just because though. I mean, as long as you're comfortable with that, then then, then we're good. <laughs> quit I, pro quo. And I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> well, you know, if I if I caved to your per- and, and I honestly didn't even just cave to your parameters for no reason. Like I think that there's a well reasoned argument behind why that should be the case.
0: No, I mean you, what you said makes sense. Like I said, I just want um, to be sure. Kind of defeats <laughs> it. Defeats the whole. Per- yeah, it defeats the whole purpose of why we would even repeal the 17th Amendment to begin with, um, and to avoid a scenario. You know, worst case scenario, the governor could have then appoint someone temporarily yep. uh, for that specific purpose. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a good idea.
1: Okay. Good. We're not getting
0: too far in the weeds. So, <laughs> All right. So I know you said you had a point you wanted to bring up at the beginning of the show as far as last week's. Do you remember what that was, a caveat? Because I think we pretty much covered the 17th Amendment.
1: Yeah, that goes that goes back to the uh, to the lobbying or to the no, it has to do with was, like last week's It was the impeachment. Point, the, the impeachment. The process, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, we I just wanted to solidify whether or not state legislators, because uh, so recently the Supreme Court cases have been decided against states. Right. So like mm-hmm. the overturning of Roe v. Wade was a state led thing. It wasn't federally based. Um, Yeah. And then you had uh, the same for uh, New York Pistol and Rifle Association v. Bruin, uh, which we finally had a ruling on a couple of weeks ago. Second Amendment ruling. New York had basically so heavily restricted Second Amendment privileges that it was a privilege. Uh, Second Amendment rights in their state that it was a privilege and very few people could actually carry a weapon to defend themselves unless you basically knew someone in politics, and that was overturned. So I'm wondering if a state infringes on constitutional rights, if they should be allowed to be repealed, like have that recalled. Yeah, recalled. Yeah, repealed, recalled. <laughs> you knew what I meant, but yes, you're correct. If they can be, you know, impeached Recalls. and then recalled through a true. That's uh,
0: That's an interesting question. I would say let the states decide for themselves what they want to do with that, but. Okay. I would add this parameter, they cannot run for a federal position, If let's say they want to move up to the federal position, uh, they cannot run for the fed- at least go one full presidential cycle, so a total of four years from the moment the Supreme Court ruled in- against this, you know, the state, uh, the people who voted for the passage, whatever, they're ineligible to run for at the federal level, the 20-year cap that we came up with for at least four years.
1: I like that. And I'm just noting that down right here. So states set their own parameters. So basically they choose whether or not to impeach and kick it to the people. So if the states imp- so, okay. At the federal level, you skip the impeachment process by the state legislators. It goes right to the people to remove them from office and replace them. If they, so, you know, if they, the vote will go up. And then if it's a state infringement, you can be impeached by the state by the legislators people. or not, and then it'll yeah. go to the people. But the people who had a if if you're if you are a state legislator, then if I understood you correctly, a state legislator. So anyone who who voted for the case that was overturned by the Supreme Court, and they meet, want
0: to run for Congress at the federal level. It's they won't one be able to run.
1: presidential yeah. cycle. Yeah. Okay. Although that's not as much of a punishment as I was thinking it would be you go, because. Oh, you're, you're,
0: Oh, I'm oh, I'm, not, I'm being too lenient now. <laughs> well, the reason
1: I say that is because if they did that at the Senate level, you got a six-year term. They might not even be done with their term until, you know, and, and want to run until the next presidential cycle. Okay, so... We do two. What
0: would two, you propose? Two cycles. Two presidential cycles?
1: Yeah, keep it your cycles. I like your cycles. Okay. All right, two presidential cycles, so eight years you are ineligible to run.
0: Yep, that's fair.
1: Okay, I can go with that.
0: At that point, at least the senators would have at least served one full term at that point. And it sounds like we're going to have to revisit the 20-year cap and maybe extending it a little bit, if anything, when we do the final ratification.
1: I would also add that not only can they not run for a federal office, they can't be appointed to a federal office. So like they couldn't be, Pete Buttigieg could not go ahead then and be appointed to a cabinet.
0: I like that. Can't run for president either.
1: So they cannot run for a federal office or be appointed,
0: appointed for a federal office
1: for two presidential cycles. Okay. Yeah, that was my one caveat. That was it. Um, I think we've covered pretty much everything else that I was worried about, let's say.
0: <laughs> or just, we, wanting, just wanting to cover.
1: <laughs>
0: I think this is actually the shortest episode we've had during this Blueprint series. I think so. We started off with basically two hours of the first episode and the second episode, we started like slowly decreasing, (laughs) but uh, it was more or less about like we had more common ground. We had less to disagree about and less caveats to think about as well. It's true. Um, So with that said, do you have like any final thoughts wrapping up Congress?
1: No. I'm glad to be done with the scumbuckets (laughs) and... D.C. <laughs> no, I uh, I'm happy. Uh, I, we'll do some tweaking before we ratify for sure. But I like where we've been going. Just really trying to go back to reducing federal power. I like this a lot.
0: And actually, giving people that visual. Yes. So, um, yeah, I think I definitely have gained a much better appreciation for our founding fathers yes. and what they were able to accomplish. <laughs> Because uh, just with two people, as we've mentioned, like, multiple times, like, with just two people, it's pretty hard <laughs> to get something to agree on and say, you know what? This is, this is what we're going to go for. Yep. Um, this is what should be constitutional, what's appropriate, et cetera. I and mean, we didn't even come to a full conclusion on the lobbying situ- situation either, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, we just, like, at least for the second portion of the lobbying that I talked about earlier. Um, and that's something we'll have to get go back over yep. later on. So, yeah, definitely. It's been fun. Uh, with that said, folks, it's been great seeing you this week. Ryan, Now uh, we'll keep up. Follow us on our social media platforms because there may be a schedule change coming in the loom. So uh, <laughs> be on the lookout for that. Uh, Ryan, if you wouldn't mind, close us out.
1: All right. Yep. Remember that you can find us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitch, and Google Podcasts, both Between the Liars and Taboo Topic. You can follow us on our social medias to stay updated. You can follow my crew at Between the Liars, and you can follow Ken and Kenjin Express at Kenjin underscore express. Remember that you should like, follow, get those notifications. Just do everything on our YouTube channels. You don't have to be selective here. Follow me on Between the Liars. (laughs) Follow Ken on Taboo Topic. And then you can watch Blueprint from either one of these. (laughs) And if you enjoy this show or any of our shows, give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. Help us beat that algorithm. Remember, you can subscribe to our channels. Remember, you can help us envision a smaller, better, more accountable government. And that starts with a Blueprint. We'll catch you back here next week. Goodbye for now.